How can you become financially secure even if you don't have a lot of advantages on your side? The research may surprise you. Chris Hogan joins me today to show us how ordinary people can build extraordinary wealth. This is Coaching for Leaders, Episode 502. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show helps you discover leadership wisdom through insightful conversations. One of the conversations that comes up with leaders in our community is, how do I do a good job of being able to manage my own house? And one of those key, key questions is, how do you do a good job of managing finances and also building wealth. It's an important question for all of us. It's certainly an important question for leaders. And I'm glad today to have someone with us who is an absolute expert in this area. Help us gonna hopefully help us kind of debunk some of the common myths we have, especially around millionaires and how we can do better in our own wealth creation. I'm so glad to welcome Chris Hogan to the show today. Chris is a best-selling author, personal finance expert, and America's leading voice on retirement, investing, and building wealth. His goal is to help as many people as possible avoid financial traps and set their families up for the future. His book, Retire Inspired, It's Not an Age, It's a Financial Number, is a number one national bestseller, and The Chris Hogan Show has millions of downloads. Chris is also a regular contributor to the Entree Leadership Podcast, a top podcast on business and leadership. He is also the author of Everyday Millionaires, How Ordinary People Build Extraordinary Wealth and How You Can Too. Chris, so glad to welcome you to the show. Well, thank you, Dave. It's a pleasure to be with you. With so much around money and wealth, I know there's a lot of nuts and bolts of things we can do, and we're going to get into that. But there's also a lot of psychology around this, and it and it requires us sometimes to unlearn some of the assumptions we've had. And I'm curious for you, having now been in a place where you advise so many, what's one myth that you had about money as a kid or maybe even a young adult that you've had to unlearn over these years? Oh, that's a great question. I think that I oh, I grew up believing in order to have wealth, you had to be born into it, meaning that it was something that had to be left to you, or you had to be a pro athlete or an entertainer in order to get to that level. What's different about what you think now on that? Well, I know that it was completely false. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, it's one of those where, and you said it right, where there are some things that we have to unlearn or relearn. And really, you know, getting an opportunity to interact with pro athletes, entertainers, and some people that did inherit, I've met many more people that have built wealth on their own as opposed to people that fell into those categories. And so seeing it now and having done the largest study of millionaires that's ever been done, we talked to over 10,000. I now know the truth and know what's possible for people regardless of where they are. I want to ask you about that study because it is fascinating, some of the data that came out of this. Who did you look at in this huge study? It's the biggest one ever done, like you said. Yeah. You know, of course, we started with, you know, Millionaire Next Door. That book was very influential in my life in the 90s. And looking at it and digging in, they studied around 800 people. And so proving to move into this direction and really wanting to know what's possible and what's going on, we set out to, to go big and uh, got so big that we had to use an outside research firm. But we wanted to find millionaires across the country. I didn't want to just study the north, south, east or west. I wanted something that was a microcosm of everyone. And so we reached out 
uh, and was able to do this research. And it took a long time. Uh, hats off to my research team that did an amazing job. But it gave us a full view of the reality of what's going on in America and what's possible. One of the terms that comes out in the research and you use is net worth millionaires. What do you mean by net worth millionaire? Well, you know, there are a lot of people with schools of thought out there that have different opinions of what you take into account in your net worth, what makes you a millionaire, what doesn't. And it's real simple for me. You take what you own minus what you owe. And let me say that again. Take what you own minus what you owe. So that would be your equity in your home, your your retirement accounts, the cash on hand, the assets that you have, and subtract out what you owe on, anything that has debt on it. And if that end number is a million or more, then congratulations, you're an everyday millionaire. Yeah, and by corollary, you're not if you have a house that's worth, say, a million dollars, but you got a $500,000 mortgage on it, it's really only a net worth of half a million. That's right. That's exactly right. So to me, that's the easiest, quickest way. And I want people to be able to listen, keep in score. Uh, I've got three sons and I'll never forget, you know, my, my middle son who's wired most like me was playing soccer and there was no scoreboard. And it was at that age where, you know, they just wanted the kids to play and just have a good time. And it was halftime. And he came up to me. He goes, Dad, where, where's the scoreboard? And I said, well, son, there's not one. He goes, that's okay. We're up five to zero. I know the score, <laughs> right? We have to keep score. We have to know what's going on. We have to know where we are to track our progress. And so I've got a free tool at my website, chrishogan360.com, that will help people track their net worth. It's a free tool. But we need to know where we are, Dave, so we can know where we want to go. All right, great. We're going to link up to that in the show notes and the weekly leadership guide so everyone can get access to that. One of the lines that's in your book and in the report that just leapt out at me is this line. The top three occupations for millionaires are engineer, accountant, and teacher. And (laughs) when I read that, I had two immediate responses. My first response was like, hooray, teachers are on this list. Yes. And then I sort of had the thought, wait, Teachers, teachers are on this list <laughs> hey, because I did, I did the exact same thing because we all know teachers are the most underpaid undervalued have so much in helping craft young men and women's minds but you dig into it and here's what i figured out engineers being at the top of it doesn't surprise me why they keep track of stuff right accountants really that doesn't surprise me they know how to count but teachers what was it about teachers well here's the deal they know about sticking to a plan they know about lesson plans they know about learning they know about applying and so being able to see this and this were teachers of all stages college professors high school teachers but again it's this thought process of building wealth over time not getting rich quick it's such a powerful message and and really conveys the importance of following a plan and following the things that you and Dave Ramsey and so many other folks on your team talk about. One of the key principles that Dave Ramsey's talked about for years, and I know you're a big fan of too, and the research supports as well from the study, is millionaires tend to steer clear of debt. And I don't think that would be a huge surprise for a lot of people to hear, but I'm I'm wondering on that, we hear these terms like good debt, bad debt, uh, having a lot of people have mortgages. Where do you land on this? And, and how do millionaires really think about debt and something like having a mortgage and owning their home? Well, here's the reality. The one thing I do know, and I've been with Dave for 15 years, I know that debt's a threat, right? You've got really two faces of interest here. You've got interest that you earn in your investments. And so I'm rewarded 
for investing that money. But then you have the other side of interest where it's a penalty. And if I have to pay interest for using someone else's money, I'm being penalized. And so the one thing that these millionaires had in common, regardless of their career, is they know how to count, right? They know how to work hard. They know how to stay focused and chase down goals, but they also know how to count. And that means making money work for them. And so looking at this, you know, and as far as the home, you know, the average millionaire was paying off their home based on my study in about 11 years. And so they were doing 16-year fixed-rate mortgages, being extremely intentional about not having it just hang around, but to get this thing out of their lives. And so, you know, also noted in here, in this study, we found the average age of millionaires, well, they hit the million-dollar market right around 49 years old. Oh, interesting. So that paying off that mortgage early helps them to get to that level faster. Without a doubt. I mean, listen to this. Only 63% of the millionaires that we studied had never taken out a home equity loan or a line of credit. Never had had it. 90% did not currently have any kind of home equity loan. And taking it a step further, because we were talking about debt, 90% of the millionaires had never taken out a business loan. So these were people that were adverse to debt. And by the way, Dave, you know, I hear all the time, people will try to tell me about their credit card points and the miles. Not one, not one of the 10,000 that I talked to told me that they got there because of credit cards or credit card points or mileage systems. These were people that are very intentional about their money. There are certainly personal finance experts that generate a lot of people land exactly where you do, which is the, you know, get rid of debt, don't have debt if if you can at all avoid it. And they also say, hey, you know, if you've got a 30-year conventional mortgage, why spend the cash now? Uh, you know, just keep paying that mortgage. And, you know, if you if you have more money later on, you could pay it off, but no need to accelerate it. When you hear that kind of advice, where do you land on that? Well, uh, these are people that have the mindset of holding on to it and you can write off the tax deduction. I think it's absurd. I think, you know, taking into account debt brings risk into your life and risk causes stress, strain and anxiety and payment debt wants a payment each and every month. It doesn't care if your child is sick. It doesn't care if you get laid off. Debt doesn't even care if there's a pandemic going on. It's just a taker. And so in that mindset, I tell, you know, in the perfect scenario, people would have a 30 year, they would pay the payment, they would invest the other side. Here's what I know to be fact. Eight out of 10, 80% of people are living paycheck to paycheck. That means they don't have margin to take care of daily life. So you and I know they might start off with the intention of doing that and they may do it three months out of 12. But reality is, is that if we don't have a plan, we'll fall for anything. Well, speaking of having the right mindset, one of the other things that the study shows is that millionaires really have a distinction between abundance and scarcity. And you found in the research that they have a growth mindset. And one of the lines in the the study says, they embrace change and usually see adversity as an opportunity for growth. What is it they do to look at things differently when adversity happens? Well, one of the, you know, outside of the stat about teachers being the number three position in the study, the next stat that really kind of jumped out at me was the the fact that 97% of the millionaires we studied believe they control their own destiny. 97%. Now, this is opposed to 50% of general population. So what that tells me is that these are people that are looking inward 
not outward. And what I mean by that is looking inward and as far as what are they going to do to pull themselves up? What are they going to do to put themselves back on track if they fall behind? They're not looking to blame someone. They don't have a victim mindset. They're not trying to blame the economy or blame society. What they're looking at are factors that they can control. And that, to me, really talks about the character and the internal drive of these individuals over time. When you talk to people who have that character, who have that drive, who look at the world that way, what do you hear in their language, in the (laughs) words they're using that other people are not using? Yeah, I'm going to tell you, the words I consistently hear of people that have that mindset, the language I hear is ownership, meaning personal responsibility. If they did it, that's great. If they didn't do it, they're looking internal as to what they need to do to get there. But then I'm also hearing of opportunity. These people have this mindset of looking forward, of being steady. They're not going to let the next craze knock them off their plan. Talking like about cryptocurrency or, or whatever the latest fad is coming. They're not looking to get rich quick. These are people that have the mindset of building wealth over time. And that's a big difference. And I want your audience to hear that. You'll see these late night programs and these late night shows promising you that if you buy this widget or cream and rub it on your head, you can grow hair overnight or become (laughs) rich in 20 minutes. This stuff is ridiculous, right? Don't fall for that. Building wealth is something that you follow a plan consistently. You ignore distractions and you stay committed to what matters to you. I'm thinking about what you said earlier of just some of the things you've unlearned and some of the mindsets and the the things we tend to think about millionaires. And one of the other things that really comes out clearly in this study, and also that study from you know a couple decades ago from the Millionaire Next Door book, is that millionaires tend to be frugal, not flashy. And this is one paragraph out of your report. It says the millionaires in this study spend less than the general population on groceries, restaurant, and clothing. Most also drive moderately priced cars and live in houses that are smaller than the national average. More than half live in neighborhoods where the average household income is less than $75,000 U.S. a year. That's an incredible, incredible finding. It really is. And it goes also back to really and truly hitting another one of these myths in the mouth You know, people tend to believe that millionaires, if to be a millionaire, you got to make a six figure income, like you got to make a massive salary. And that's just not true. We're again, we're not talking about someone leaning in front of a Ferrari in front of a 20,000 square foot home. We're talking about someone that's wearing a pair of jeans and some boots that's working hard day in and day out, being very intentional. Another shocking statistic, and there's so many, Dave, we've got the study out now that we talk about in the book. I'll send you a copy of it because it has all the statistics in there. But a third of the millionaires that we studied did not have a six-figure household income combined. It's incredible. That if two of them were working outside of the home, together they didn't make six figures, but they still were able to reach millionaire status over time. So that's the thing I want to keep going back to. This is not a get-rich-quick process. This is a mindset and a mentality and a work ethic that puts you on a path. Well, this is a great lead into some of the things that millionaires are doing. And we've talked about some of the things that came out of this that you know reinforced, I think, some of the things we already knew, but also reinforced what came out of some of the previous studies. But this one was really new for me, is that net worth millionaires consider financial discipline and consistent investing as the primary tools for building financial independence. 
And I was thinking about that, and, and I was also really struck by the prevalence of building wealth through employer-sponsored retirement plans. And I think that was surprising to me because you hear a lot of the times like, well, the, the people who do the best are people who own their own business, are people who you know invest and, and gain money other ways, or maybe inheritance like you had mentioned earlier. But it turns out that employer-sponsored retirement plans are a huge part of it. And it sounds like that was a bit of a surprise to your team as well when you discovered that. <laughs> It really was. But, you know, you start to think about that. Those employer-sponsored plans, I mean, people being intentional and investing over time, you and I know the value of compound growth, right? And it, and looking at this, you know, 79% of the millionaires that we studied said they reached their millionaire status through their company-sponsored plans. And so that's such a high percentage, which means that, that what they did was is they knew the value of investing, they knew the value of planning, but not just putting it in there, but it's leaving it, allowing this money to continue to grow over time. For the person who is listening, who's maybe never done much thinking about their employer plan, or they've just signed up for whatever the standard default setting is, what's the invitation you'd make to people as a first step? Because this is such a critical, critical indicator of how, how much a difference it makes over time. It really does. Now, Dave, I know your show is extremely international. You're all over the place, and I know your audience is massive. And I want people to hear me that regardless of what country you're in or where you are, being able to look at that company-sponsored retirement plan is absolutely crucial. I want you to take the time to go in and talk to your human resource benefits person. Get the information. Go sit down with an investment professional or financial advisor. Begin to not only understand, but take advantage of the tools that you have in front of you. Now, people will say, well, Chris, you don't understand. I, I can't afford to invest right now. I don't have the money. And I'm going to tell you, in reality, you can't afford not to invest. So I help people get out of debt so they can get intentional or free up their income. On average, people are spending 35% of their income on consumer debt. So if you get out of debt, you give yourself a raise, right? And then after you do that, I want you to give yourself a cushion. I want you to sleep well at night because you know you've got some money set aside. So if life jumps up, you can smack it back down. You've got money put away. And then once you do that, you want to start to invest. And so I want to encourage people, please don't rely on your government to save the day. Please don't rely on your government to take care of you or your loved ones later in life. We can't wait on a superhero to arrive. We have to get our own cape. For the people who have good intentions, who've jumped in on their employer plans, what, if anything, is a common mistake that you see of engaging with an employer plan that folks should watch out for? I think whenever you get an employer-sponsored plan, I think this mindset of utilizing that money as an emergency fund is not a good thing. It's not a bank account. It's something you want to set aside and allow it to grow. And allowing it to grow means that I'm not pulling money in and out. I'm sitting it in there. And I, so I think the, the, one of the biggest mistakes is using it like it's an emergency fund. Wrong. You don't want to do that. Number two, the sit it and forget it mentality. Meaning I picked this thing maybe randomly or maybe a coworker told you and you just picked it and you never had a professional look it over. You never had anyone look to see if you need to make some tweaks or changes. Those are the two biggest mistakes that I see. So I want to encourage your listeners to go find an investment professional, sit down with them quarterly, have them take a look at where you are, take a look at your investments. That way you can make some small tweaks if needed. 
a lot of employers have, if not an incentive, at least an opportunity for employees to invest in the company's stock uh, or the company's performance in, in their own retirement plan, whatever it is. How do you feel about that? Don't like them because those employers sponsored stock, you know, typically single stocks, Dave, make me nervous. Okay. I did my stupid years ago and I still twitch sometimes when I think about how much I could have had if I hadn't gone that route. So I advise people to look kind of at growth stock mutual funds, looking at ways to mitigate risk. But this employer sponsored stock stuff, I, all I think of is I'll never forget back a, a, a years ago, a gentleman came in to meet with me and he had all of his retirement in the company stock plan. And if I say the company name, you'd know it. It's called Enron. Uh, and so yeah. he went from having $537,000 to zero. And mm -hmm. so he wasn't diversified, which diversified means that's a $20 word that simply means to spread around. So I think company-sponsored stock plans, if you're already at a millionaire status and you want to invest a little in that, I think it's fine. But if you have all your eggs in that basket because you're trying to show the company you believe in them, I think it's foolish financially to do. You mentioned having made a mistake with this yourself. What was the mistake you made? Uh, oh, I bought that? a single stock and kept buying it and it grew and then it split and in my mind it was just going to continue to ride the rainbow all the way up and instead what it did was is in a matter of a couple of weeks did a severe plummet and lost all of it and so it was this mindset of again putting all your going all in right you don't want that all-in moment I love to watch poker on TV because I like other people risking money, not me. But 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 <laughs> those all-in moments are great. Have you ever noticed, even in the poker tournaments, and that's international, so your audience understands, even in the all-in moments, do you notice they never push cash in? They yeah. push in chips yeah. because people would work differently dealing with real money as opposed to a chip with a denomination on it. It's not real, so it takes away some of the emotion. What we have to do is to start to look at our retirement plans as real money. I mean, your retirement plan is going to become your paycheck later. And people don't think about that. See, you're putting money in that company-sponsored retirement plan so it can grow. And eventually, what you're going to do is to start to take a paycheck from that account. So we got to put some money in and invest it so it can grow so later we can take some money out. Speaking of what's real and what's not, there is the assumption by a lot of us when we look at millionaires and celebrities that a lot of them got there by inheritances. And it turns out that's really not the path for most millionaires. Uh, the study says only one in five millionaires in the study had received any kind of inheritance. And what's really interesting to me too is even those that did get an inheritance, it generally wasn't a very large amount, certainly percentage-wise, not close to a million dollars for most of them. Yeah, not at all. I mean, it's it's amazing when you look at this. And we asked some millennials, you know, what they believed, how many, you know, how they thought millionaires got their wealth. 74% of millennials believed it was through inheritance. And so, you know, 52% of baby boomers believe that also. And so, you know, the, the reality is, as you look at this, you know, it was not by inheritance. You know, they, they it, it is such a fallacy for people to think that that's the way that it happened. In reality, what you have are these people that built wealth first generation, 
right? This is the first time in their family's legacy anyone had hit that level. So I think this is a good myth to debunk because I want people to understand if people believe the only way you can get there is through inheritance, and if they don't come from a family that has money, then you believe that it's not possible for you. Mm. And I think this is important for people to understand. You don't have to have it handed to you. You know, what you can do is build it over time and be very consistent in using your company sponsored retirement plan, being very intentional and in investing for yourself, being allergic to debt and learning how to how to know the difference between a want and a need. And what this is, is this is not a microwave thing. This is a crockpot process where you're going to begin to work this and have this mindset as you work out your career. You mentioned the pandemic earlier. It is a difficult time for so many people. And I'm sure there are people who reach out to you and say, hey, this shouldn't be about hitting a dollar amount. Just having a conversation about becoming a millionaire comes from a place of privilege that not everyone can engage in. And, and now, of course, we see the unemployment rates and we see so many people struggling. When people come to you with that mindset and they say, you know, this is this is about privilege, this is just about hitting a dollar amount, how do you respond to that? Well, I, I initially, I listen, right? I, I want to hear people and I, I have a heart to help people. That's why I travel around the country or used to. I can't travel now. I'm relegated to doing webinars now. But whenever I hear people speak of privilege in that way, my first mindset is to think of the people that I know that didn't come from privilege. I know myself, I know tons of other people that are building wealth and have built wealth over time that don't come from that. Here's the reality. We all have different start points. We all come from different points in our lives. And your start line might be a little bit different than mine, but we all have a line. And some people are, are born into families that have some money, so they're able to go to college debt-free. Others don't, and they end up taking some student loan debt. But I think it's not a matter of what has happened. I think it's what's next, what we do next, right? Regardless of where you were born, I love the quote from Condoleezza Rice. I had an opportunity to meet her a few years ago, and she grew up in rural Alabama. So she said, Chris, people called me everything but my name. And she said one of the things her, her parents used to tell her all the time, it's not where you come from, it's about where you're going. Right. And so I think regardless of our start line, again, going back to that internal view of ourselves, not the victim thinking. Right. We all can find an excuse. We all can. We all can find something that has been a hardship or a tough time in life. And, and I, I think that's real. But it's a matter of what are we going to do next? And so if you are going to focus on what other people have and what you don't, the odds are you're going to stay there a while. And if you tend to focus on, hey, this is where I am, these are some of the challenges, but this is why I'm motivated. And I think those are the people that tend to do something about it and tend to move forward. Huge. Chris, I know in addition to your financial leadership and acumen, you have a tremendous heart for leadership as well. You advise a lot of leaders. Uh, leaders are, of course, always learning and growing. I'm curious, as you've been doing this work uh, over the years, and especially in the last year and a half since the book came out, as you've gone around the country and taught people and as you've hosted your show and answered questions, since the book's come out, what have you changed your mind on? Hmm. You know what? I think uh, looking at the, the leadership side, and I get a chance to teach on money as well as leadership, and it's not necessarily a change of mind, but it's even more more real, is that we need real leaders to stand up right now. We need leaders to care. We got people that are scared out there. 
We got people that are nervous that are having real life happen to them. And they don't need a boss. They need a leader. And a leader is someone that connects with them to hear what's going on. A leader is someone that communicates with them about what the reality is in the business situation right now. So people don't have to have fear, but they can deal in facts. And also they need a, a leader to care. And by care, I mean to follow up. If you ask someone how they're doing and they've got a sick family member or something going on, care enough to follow up with them. And I think if us as leaders, we will show up and we'll care about people. We can start to get one of the things that leaders absolutely covet. And that's loyalty. Loyalty is not something you can buy. It's something that's earned. And I think it's earned in our daily interactions with people and how we treat them and how we follow up with them as they're walking through life. Chris Hogan is the author of Everyday Millionaires, How Ordinary People Build Extraordinary Wealth and How You Can Too. He's also the host of The Chris Hogan Show, probably the most popular personal finance show on the internet. Chris, thank you so much for your time. I'm grateful for it. Dave, thank you so much. It was an absolute pleasure to be with you. All right. Speaking of money, several related episodes you'll also want to know about. Episode 244 is one of them. Improve your financial intelligence with Joe Knight. In that conversation, Joe and I talked about his best-selling book, Financial Intelligence, also several other iterations of it. It is the book for leaders who want to get up to speed on some of the key financial terminology, vocabulary, and concepts that you need to know in order to be able to engage well within the financial conversations in your organization. Leaders, of course, need to be able to speak and understand the financial terminology. Episode 244 is a must-start for you if you, like me, have been in situations where financial terms went over your head in a meeting. Episode 244 is where to start for that. I'd also recommend episode 356, Four Rules to Get Control of Your Money with Jesse Meekum. Jesse is the founder of You Need a Budget, one of the most popular personal finance uh, software as a service programs out there right now. It is the program Bonnie and I use for our own personal finances. It is a wonderful resource for tracking and planning and, of course, budgeting. And in episode 356, we do talk about the software, but more importantly, we talked about some of the core principles for getting control of your money. If that is something that's top of mind for you right now, episode 356 with Jesse Meekum is a great place to start. And then finally, I'd recommend episode 396 with my pal, Jill Schlesinger. She is the author of Dumb Things Smart People Do With Their Money. In that conversation, we talked about some of the key concepts that you can use in order to do better in your finances. Uh, Jill is the host of Jill on Money, an excellent personal finance show. I'd recommend that if you're not already listening to one and you're looking for a wonderful place to go. Also, episode 396, a wonderful introduction to her work. All of those episodes you can find on the coachingforleaders.com website. Uh, we have a section in the website called Finance and Budget. So if you are looking for more information, there's actually a lot more episodes in there on this topic uh, that you can dive in in way more detail. In addition, if you haven't already, I'm inviting you to set up your free membership at coachingforleaders.com. That will give you access to the entire library, searchable by topic, and also access to my weekly leadership guide that comes every Wednesday. I am scouring the web all the time looking for the best other podcasts, articles, videos that I think will support you in your leadership development. In addition, every Wednesday, I'm also including the episode notes, 
some of the wisdom I'm finding from the reading I'm doing, and a bunch more in those weekly guides. So if you'd like to receive that, that's one of the benefits of free membership, along with access to all the free audio courses, my own personal library, and a ton more inside the website. Coachingforleaders.com is where to go to get that set up. Next week is our monthly question and answer show. Bonnie and I will be responding to your questions. If you have a question you'd like us to consider, go over to coachingforleaders.com slash feedback to submit it to us for consideration. Have a great week and see you back Monday with Bonnie. Take care.